everyone, welcome to Business of Building. I'm really excited today. I'm speaking to Masami, who is an award-winning entrepreneur and the founder and CEO of B1G1. It's a social enterprise and a B Corp based in Singapore. B1G1 gives businesses the power to make a real difference by helping them integrate effective giving in what they do. This has been so inspiring for me personally as well. Today, B1G1 works with more than 3,000 businesses, and these businesses have collectively created over 300 million giving impacts today and in all of the 17 Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs as we call them now, which is very important in today's world. Born in Japan and travelled around the world, Masami has a diverse background as a leader and understands the power of collaboration. She is two times TEDx speaker and author of four books. Paul Pullman, who you all might know as the former CEO of Unilever and a prominent UN SDG advocate, contributed a foreword to her most recent book, Legacy, The Sustainable Development Goals in Action. In recognition of the work by B1G1 that has empowered countless small businesses to align with the SDGs. Masami's work originates in the belief that people and businesses with a real sense of purpose can change our world. And she's totally committed to the mission to create a world that is full of giving. So without further ado, Masami, welcome to Business of Building and thank you so much for taking time out in your busy schedule to speaking with us. Thanks. Hi, Masami. Thank you so much for joining us today uh, on this beautiful Friday morning. Uh, I am so excited uh, for several, several reasons, but uh, one of it being uh, passionate about uh, making an impact using business for good. And, you know, uh, you are representing B1G1. You are the founder, the CEO of the company. And uh, one of the main things you have is business for purpose, using business for a purpose. And that's so beautiful and having that impact on the communities, on the world. How did the journey begin? How, how, how was B1G1 formed? How did the idea come up? What was the journey before? Mm. I, I want to know it all, if you don't mind going through the journey. <laughs> be amazing. Yeah, because it, it, I mean, it, I wonder how far I should go back to, like, should I go all the way to the beginning? Wherever, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'd be definitely interested. Yeah, so um, I, I think, you know, all of us here and then the people who are listening to this um, interview as well, I think every person has a journey and it comes from right at the beginning, right? And then a thread of uh, events and uh, interactions, connections and experiences like form our entire journey and then take us to where we are today. So for me too, um, being in a position to be running this global initiative today, like I would have never imagined, you know, when I was growing up. So so going back um, right to the beginning, um, I was in Japan, I was born in Tokyo, um, grew up in the lower kind of middle class family. And um, I remember being very, very shy and introverted <laughs> in my childhood. I'm still quite like introverted sometimes, but I was very, very quiet and I didn't know how to 
communicate with others or with other kids. Um, and then my father was working for this large um, Japanese uh, food company, and he was often transferred to different branches within Japan. So I remember moving to school in a new school in the middle of the term uh, multiple times and being this very, very shy child to be in a class full of strangers right like and then to try to connect with others it was so challenging so I um, uh, was you know very quiet all the time and I like to even spend more time in the nature and then connecting with insects and animals so that was me (laughs) that was was the way wow wow (laughs) challenging right to have already be that shy kid and then having to move and form new relationships and new friendships Mm. every time Mm. do do you do you find that again or are you do you find it easier now that you have had that experience to transition into relationship Mm -hmm. or so yeah anyway yeah what happened was um one thing i had even at that time was probably sense of curiosity and uh, so I remember spending most of my school holidays with my grandparents because my grandparents had a family business in Tokyo Um, and so during the summer holidays I will be spending time learning about the business and taking care of the shop and serving customers sweeping the floor or so I was doing everything (laughs) with them and that was a fascinating time you know working and I loved working but I also loved um, being in the business space like a family business space Um, so then when I finally graduated from school in Japan that curiosity about you know figuring trying to figure out why certain things were happening and so I wanted to experience the world outside of Japan too so I decided to um, go study English and then uh, travel overseas and so I became a backpacker uh, and ended up spending a few years um, traveling around the world with limited funding (laughs) so during yeah so that was during that time did you have a plan Masami, did you? Uh, yeah, well, because initially the plan was to just learn English, right? Because I couldn't even speak English. So and beyond that, I didn't really have a plan. <laughs> but what happened was once I started to travel and then to be in a space where I even couldn't speak the language that everybody else was speaking, I finally had to surrender, you know, not to try to say the right thing or you know not you know do the right thing or because I, I was so vulnerable in the in the new space so I let go and I for the first time started to really enjoy connecting with people in very simple ways <laughs> and then I realized when I was backpacking wherever I went and you know of course like at first it was a little intimidating to connect with people who looked different spoke different languages and had different culture and but when I was open and willing and vulnerable there were always people who came to help me whenever I needed help so I realized that actually even when we seem to be different. We had something in common, you know, which was probably like a joy of, uh, you know, eating together or, you know, so, so those are simple things like connected to me with others. And I really started to enjoy that pure sense of connection and the interaction and the learning um, from everybody. So that was that time also when I started to see things that really didn't make sense to me. So for example, when I was growing up in Japan, my family wasn't well-to-do. So I, 
you know, had uh, uh, issues, you know, family, like financial issues and things like that too. But in my own country, actually children could go to school, <laughs> even if you come from, uh, you know, relatively poor family. But in other countries, I realized that there are so many kids who couldn't even complete the primary school education or they had to work every day in the field or go and then beg on the street. Or So for me, like that kind of reality really didn't make sense because, you know, if there were, there were children who had issues, then surely I thought that the people would come to help, right? But it wasn't the case. So eventually, like I because I didn't know what to do, even though those things disturbed me, I decided to just let go and then continue to travel and then continue to go on with my own life. But then years later, when I became a parent, a mom for the first time, and having my own baby daughter in my arms, I realized that I couldn't just be living like that, right? Because my daughter was lucky enough to be born in an environment where she will be taken care of taken care of but there were lots of other kids who weren't like that and then I thought what if my daughter was born in that circumstance and then if the world said you know sorry we can't help because we don't have a power to change what's happening so that's when I decided to um, start the business and uh, became an entrepreneur and that was 20 over 21 years ago <laughs> Then, yeah, and at that time it was decades. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, more than two decades. And at that time it was a food company um, I started because I realized the food really brought people together. And for me, it was a way to communicate and connect because when I couldn't speak uh, English, I could still cook. And that actually let me, uh, you know, be in a position to enjoy the connection with others too. So I wanted to start a food company. And also I thought that one day when this company is really successful, we would be able to start something that gives back, right? Like, and then to set up a, you know, perhaps a food uh, soup kitchen to feed and educate the children. Or So we had the dreams and we started the business, but then, um, about five or six years later, when we are still working really hard and our business have grown. And one day in Australia, our company was doing like uh, packaged frozen meal distribution. And we had over 150 retail stores selling our products in Australia in multiple states. At that time, I realized that we were still not able to do anything because we were too busy or we are putting all the money back into business to develop the business, right? So then I thought, you know, maybe if we kept going, thinking we were not ready yet, then maybe in 10 or 20 years time, we would still be saying the same thing. You know, we're not ready yet. It was just with bigger business. Sometimes <laughs> so you never, the, you find every reason, don't you, to, to push it, keep pushing. And yeah, I need to focus on this today. I need to focus on that today. And yeah. Yeah. So that's why um, one day I thought like, you know, instead of trying to do something big in the future, what if we did something small and did it every day? And that was the idea of B1J1. Um, uh, and then in the beginning, we used to call it buy one, give one, because we um, wanted to give a meal for every meal we sold. And that was the initial idea, um, which was born through that food company. But several months later, I had another realization that um, even though we could do that alone, 
and that, that is already great. I thought, what if if it was really easy for any business around the world to be able to say every time something good happens in our business, then we will help make something great happens to others around the world too. And then if we created a simple way, a, a process and a system to make that happen, um, what could we achieve together? And uh, eventually, we sold the food business in Australia and moved to Singapore and started to be one one as the global initiative. So that was 15 years ago. <laughs> I mean, what I was about to say, and you have achieved 300 million impacts, uh, giving yes. impacts recently. Mm. I mean, what landmarks and uh, you have won uh, Business of Purpose, I think Business for Good Awards recently as well. Uh, it's, it's absolutely incredible. So it grew from this idea of yourself personally wanting to do something good on a and we do that every time as well, don't we? Even if we um, go on a holiday, you are thinking, I'm going to book this holiday in six months time. I'm going to go wherever I'm going to go and I'm going to have so much fun, but I have to work so hard. Whereas you can have those small bits of uh, holidays during your day to day life. It's basically that that thinking broken down into giving that you don't have to wait for 10 years when I, have a, when I have a house and a car and this and that, and then I will give. You are doing it as you go and you gain the, gain the momentum of what you have given as an impact as you go. What, has, what does the journey look like from here for you, Masami, for B1G1, for you personally? What are the, I, I wouldn't want to say the goals, uh, but what, what, I'm sure you have a, some sort of an idea of uh, what what you you and the team would like to achieve for the mm. for the business so when we started 15 years ago <laughs> um, the world was not like this today and uh, um, there weren't too many businesses thinking about you know even like social responsibility or social impact um, so it wasn't a common idea um, but it was at the time it was called the csr isn't it corporate social responsibility yeah, and then start yeah, people started to talk about the CSR, but because it's called corporate social responsibility, a lot of small to medium-sized businesses didn't think that it was also something that they could do. <laughs> or, you know. So uh, things changed quite a lot. And today, I think there is more awareness and desire for the business community to participate in the social change. And we know that we must do, all do that because otherwise... The current way of how we are driving businesses is not sustainable, right? Like, and then there are so many issues that we need to come in to help solve. And um, again, like we still see the inherent power of businesses because if we, if this was all about like let's say charitable donations, then that alone cannot solve all of the issues. I think primarily, who can be the most powerful change maker in our society and the communities is. Um, actually the businesses and businesses happen everywhere every day you know even when we are not thinking about anything every single day like we are actually being touched by all kinds of different businesses and surrounded by these businesses so I think that the real change can only happen when we mobilize this power of business at the maximum potential and then link those um, activities with the social change that we need to create 
And part of it, we believe that this micro form of sharing the kindness through everything we do in business is very transformative. And it's also good for the business because all of us today uh, is uh, looking for more greater meaning and purpose in our work rather than just working, just paying bills, <laughs> you know, just advancing in our career. <laughs> yeah, journey. and, and it, it kind of, because it breaks it down to the micro level, as you said, uh, it makes it less overwhelming. Um, and it is it is a lot more and uh, and it was quite interesting I was speaking to Paul uh, your co-founder on Tuesday as well and he said something we have tried to make giving on B1G1 like Amazon would what what are your thoughts on that and I actually we were running through the website and it was so intuitive so uh, also whilst I asked you this question may I request you to touch on how B1G1 works and how you set up the partnership what is the process for a listener? Mm -mm, sure, sure. So um, the previous question you asked was where we, we were going, right? Like, so basically, like, where we want to go and need to go is to make sure that every business and every action enabled by business would have a social impact element. And the B1G1 want to play a part in making that happen everywhere around the world. And the world has millions and millions of businesses. So that potential is huge. Um, so that's kind of like where we are going. And so today, like we have created, you know, our members have created over 300 million giving impacts, you know, those acts of kindness you know, from planting trees to providing access to water, to education, to micro loan, to all sort of things, right? So we can actually make this thing, uh, these things happen much more moving forward and faster, and especially tapping into the power of technology. So um, then let me talk about how we want to make these things happen <laughs> with that in mind. So uh, the mechanism, uh, idea is very simple, but mechanism is a little bit more complex. Um, so b one g one has two entities. One is a social enterprise called b one g one or buy one, give one. And then there is another charity entity called b one g one giving. So this social enterprise has the platform and then the business initiative to add value to the businesses that we work with and help them uh, utilize this platform and then to create their own unique giving stories and enable their effective giving. And so the businesses can have all sort of like a tools and resources that they can use um, to choose the projects and then to link the project activities with their business um, action. And then they could even automate that tracking of their you know, business activities so that every time something happens, such as Zoom, every Zoom call, or every time somebody register for their event, or every um, lead created in the, you know, um, their CRM system, or so all these actions can turn into the impact that they choose to create, and then track their impact with their impact counter, live counters, and so on. Then when those businesses are giving through B1G1, then the giving will go to this sister organization called B1G1 Giving. And B1G1 Giving has the criteria for the what they call the program. So um, charity organizations from around the world um, can apply to be part of this program. And then if they can qualify all of the conditions that is set by the board of B1J1 Giving, then they could um, list their project in B1J1. 
And then we would do the breakdown of their project activities into micro units so that businesses giving can have a tangible and measurable and countable impact. Right. Like, so then 100% of their giving then goes to the project that um, businesses choose to support. So that's the kind of like a mechanism of B1G1. But in a sense, like the um, how it's expressed is very, very simple. You know, every time something good happens in the business, something great happens in the world. <laughs> which, is, which is so fantastic. Uh, uh, can I uh, go to how uh, you pick the charities who mm. are part of the impact stories, as you yeah. mentioned, do they have to have, because a lot of them are working at a very grassroots level, if I would call it, in the communities. So do they need to have a certain financial savviness or do you help them? Do you know what I mean? So let's say I am running a charity of um, education uh, here and do I need to come with a with a with a business case for B1G1 or is it, do you hold their hand and say, okay, this is what it looks like, how would that work? So um, there is a certain benchmark. So uh, again, like the, the sweet spot for the B1G1 program is for the organizations that have been operating at least you know certain number of years and the minimum is three years, but ideally like five years plus. And then also they have to have a, um, a minimum, you know, meet minimum criteria such as being able to provide a financial reporting uh, with, with audited accounts. So, so there are certain things that, um, we require but another more important part is that those organizations have the experience with a very specific type of activities and so they understand what is actually best for the community and what makes a difference and they have done it um, for quite uh, you know enough period to understand the financial statistics around the activities because the one model helps them to break down the impact into measurable unit and then we would actually uh, raise the funding that fulfills that impact activity so there need to be certain um, criteria but we basically like don't target really large um, organ charity organizations either because there is this sweet spot of organizations that are actually close to the um you know close to the ground activity yes. on the ground activities and they are connected with local leaders you know um, um because it, it solving the certain problems in certain communities is never about like uh people from outside to say this is how to solve this problem you know it's really about understanding the kind of real root cause of the issue and then to find the way that works in that particular circumstance. So it's actually requires a close like engagement with the community and understanding. So that means like um, small to medium sized um, charity organizations with really good track record and the his history and the transparency around their financial management. So that's the kind of like uh, best um, uh, match with the B1G1 program. It's so beautiful. I mean, it, it's like, you know, sometimes you end up giving a T-shirt to uh, students where they actually need the books. So you are trying to make sure that because the organizations work closer to the community, they know that mm. they need books and that's what they're looking. I, I guess one of the things which I found very beautiful about this, uh, um, the structure right now with B1G1 was the visibility of your impact um, and, uh, and where it's going uh, because 
And just to link it back, I was speaking to a parent at our son's school. Um, Our little one um, on last birthday, he wanted to raise money to plant trees. So he does he doesn't like presents. So for him, it's it's already it's it's incredible that he's thinking like that. Um, um, So the parent was asking me, so how would you how would you pick a charity, for example, because we we um, um, donate money to X charity, but we don't know where it goes. And I, I wish I could show her the B1G1 website there as well, because it was quite nicely uh, and it breaks down. So you don't have to worry about buying a bicycle for a student. You can actually give x amount to rent the bicycle for one day so it's it's it was from one day to buying a bike and i love that that part of it um it was it uh, did it start like that um do you always do you always have that plan in mind that it is going to be as micro as this and as big as that yes ah <laughs> nice really that idea was you know, imagine like from day one, you know, we were imagining a world where, where every time business happens, something good happens in the world, right? Like, and then if it was starting from, okay, every time somebody has a cup of coffee, you know, or every time somebody um, reads a book, or every time somebody goes to see a doctor, or so if we think about all these things that's happening every day, of course, like how much uh, impact that can be created through that is rel- need to be relatively small. <laughs> so we have that idea in mind, but um, it's been uh, you know work in progress and ongoing uh, review of the entire process to really identify you know the methodology. But what we had clearly in mind was to create this like common uh, methodology to break down the impact unit. So in B1G1 way, um, things are broken down in uh, micro unit such as one item. So it could be like one brick being given toward building a school, or it could be like one book to be given or one tree to be planted. So anything that is like countable as one micro unit, then we will count that as one item and one impact. But at the same time, there are certain things that's not so countable, such as education, access to education. How do we make sure we can count this? Then our common language is to break down access to such um, opportunities into days of access. So one day of access to you know, clean water or one day's access to sanitation, one day's access to quality education. So when we do this, then at least there is like a common language. So building one well could be quite expensive <laughs> for you know, the, the community. But when we actually break it down based on the statistics of, for example, how long the well lasts and how many people live in the community and then do the breakdown, then one day's access to clean water could come down to you know, just a few cents per day. Right. Like, and then if it's just a few cents per day, then businesses could actually fund this um, very easily. It's absolutely incredible. I, I, the, we, we touched on CSR earlier when you started, as it were, B1G1. Mm-hmm. Um, the recent, um, recent thinking is towards the ESG uh, part of it. What thoughts do you have on ESG? Um, and also, how do you think B1G1 can help the businesses touch on various aspects of ESG? Mm-hmm. 
I think the micro contribution for business can play an important part in the kind of beginning of this new awareness. Because um, when things are very, really complicated, then businesses will find it very difficult to get started, you know, especially for SMEs. So ESG concept is also relatively complex if you try to perfectly implement ESG, right? <laughs> But the thing is, we got to start from somewhere. And then we got to start from something that kind of ignite greater consciousness and new creativity so that we can continue to do more and better as we go. So um, if it is as easy as, you know, one dollar to plant a tree and then you can actually do it whilst you are also reflecting and reviewing and revising your own internal business practice because we need to do both, right? Like we cannot just do external thing and then not to change our internal actions. <laughs> so all the businesses should definitely think about how, you know, we can ourselves transform as a company. Um, including internal policy making to the day-to-day -day environmental practice or employee relations, like all the kind of things we could do. But at the same time, when we start actually doing something that is beyond like their, you know, our own gain. So when businesses actually, you know, create a value and do good through their business services, then if they are actually allocating a little bit of effort and resources to do something good for the outer world, that actually can um, trigger, you know, that different sense of connection among their team members or even with the customers and to help them become actually a little bit more caring or a little bit more grateful for the things that they are doing every day. So I think like- uh, Positive culture, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So the start of creating a culture, um, doing something small, but starting now is important, but doing something regularly so that it becomes a part of who we are is also very, very important. Uh, it's, uh, it's like a habit. It's practicing, yes. practicing giving on every action. And, and who knows, you know, it, it changes the way if I say I'm going to give every time I do a workout, it might push me to do more healthy things, uh, uh, push me to be more active. And you can you can use it for positive reinforcement in various different ways as well, isn't it? So uh, for me, uh, it's an absolute incredible initiative, P1G1. Um, do you always get um, uh, members coming to you with wanting to introduce community-led projects which could be a part of the impact? Or uh, do you normally go and look out in, um, in the world for community-led uh, projects which you could be a part of so uh, uh, what I'm trying to understand is is it like a very symbiotic relationship yeah yeah definitely like um, some cases yes or many cases uh, the causes join us through introductions from uh, the business community but also the um, what they call the community because um, some organizations know other organizations that are also doing good work as well right um, but at the same time there are certain cases where we actively um, try to source a particular type of project activities based on the desire of the businesses that we work with so 
right in the beginning, most people, most businesses wanted to give to projects like um, education project or health project because people felt more like emotionally connected to helping vulnerable people, right? But these days, actually, there is so much more, you know, desire, greater desire for businesses want to support environmental projects. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's why, like, uh, certain cases, based on the demand and needs, um, we would also go out and then actively seek, seek out or, you know, actively ask for recommendations about a particular type of activities as well. That's, yeah, that's so interesting that it's, um, it's coming together, really, isn't it? It was, uh, sorry, sorry, there, I have this um, <laughs> plant tower, and I'm growing um, herb and vegetable inside the house. And then I realized that the water fountain goes on every half an hour and it started to go. So I just had to mute and stop the water. So you have, <laughs> so that's why. So you have a, you have a vegetable growing space yes, in the house. Inside the house, next to me. <laughs> oh, wow. Can you, can you share a photo of me later? Because I'd like to see. Yeah, yeah sure, 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 sure. What I find is, uh, you know, it's so ahead in these, Techno uh, I know that there are, um, uh, I read, sorry, I'm jumping here, but I uh, heard a beautiful quote, uh, which is, uh, you are always asked to think outside the box, but actually when you're in the box, you are the most creative in a way because you have those constraints. And I guess um, that's what our planet is asking us, isn't it? That you have the planetary boundaries and constraints and how can you, now try to develop the way you consume things where you're not taking too much. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, Singapore has always been like ahead in those things. So I'd like to see what that looks like, to be honest. Oh, sure, uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I come from more like a nature background because I, uh, there was a time um, in my youth, I spent two years working with farmers in Japan. So I you know, at that time, I was just trying to create the self-sufficient life and not to buy into consumerism. And you know, because I was trying to like find a way to not to cause harm for the world. <laughs> so, so that's why I, I, if I when I when it's possible, I'm more like hands-on. You know, grow food in the soil. And uh, but in Singapore, space is limited. So. <laughs> So you have to you have to find innovative ways. This is a very interesting uh, point you pick up, Masami, as well. Is uh, self sustainability and uh, self reliance? Um, how and then you need time for it, because I I you know having some space to grow things and stuff, but you need time to go and tend and stuff. But you also run. You are a CEO of a company. How do you? How do you balance those two things? Because that's the one question I get asked so many times. Like, how do you balance this? Well, like, I think uh, people probably today think more and more about, you know, life-work balance and things like that, right? Um, for me, I don't think I'm a good example or good at balancing things, like intentionally to try to draw a line between work life and family life and personal life and stuff like that. But um, I guess like balance is more important in terms of where you feel like a fulfillment and on a day-to-day -day basis and enjoy your, your life, right? Like, so how, how many hours you work or how much work you do or how much time you spend with family is not necessarily like a, a 
the accurate description of how connected you are or how fulfilled you are in your life. Um, so sometimes you might work a lot, but then you might love working. <laughs> you know, sometimes you might spend more time with family. Sometimes you might spend less time with family, but they have a kind of like a really important, honest conversation and have a quality time. Or So I think the quality of time is more important than the amount of time itself. <laughs> so I guess like when I don't feel like really good in some way like not as connected then um doing things like okay just taking time off or going running you know or play sports or uh yeah that that kind of things like also get get me connected but as far as I enjoy working mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm finding the joy in the things that I do, I don't tend to count the hours or time I spend. <laughs> just time, time disappears. <laughs> well, how, how beautifully put, because that's the beauty of it, isn't it? If you're finding fulfillment in what you're doing and you're enjoying it, then it's okay. And you don't have to feel guilty because you're trying to head towards this this line in the sand, as you said, five o'clock, then I start and being present in what you're doing. So if you're having family time, be present there. And if you're working, be Mm -hmm. present there kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. how beautifully put, because that's uh, one thing which a lot of of people are trying to figure out, especially since COVID, when everything seems to be mashed up together and workplace has come into the (laughs) and all that. Mm -hmm. But Masami, yeah. thank you so much. But I'm not going to say thank you yet. I still have one question, which um, I request every guest to answer would be, what is the biggest risk you have taken? And what were your learnings from the risk? Oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I can think of a few things. Like I, I probably... Um, Go for it. Go for it. Risk as an entrepreneur. But there were a couple of times. Um, so... Uh, one was probably when um, I was running the food company, which I talked about earlier. And um, because in the early days, we actually went through a lot of challenges, you know, trying to do something that was a little bit too early for that time, you know, trying to create an online food delivery service. And that was before people were actually ordering anything online, right? So. <laughs> So then I mean you lot of difficulty. That's how I survived through COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Today, like that business would have been perfect, but um 20 years ago, it was a little bit too early. <laughs> so we struggled. And then um what happened was when we were um, when we just signed up with Big Lease and uh, you know I had a, a two-year-old child, then at that time I became accidentally pregnant again and then I realized oh my gosh I'm gonna have a baby but I don't know what to do so then I kept working um, throughout my pregnancy and then um, one month before uh, the child was due and I was living in Australia as like a resident but not a citizen so I didn't have a full medical coverage to have a a childbirth so um, I actually ended up um, you know, delivering uh, my child by myself <laughs> in a commercial commercial oh kitchen. Oh my and god! That's probably one 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 risk I took, but I had this feeling that it will all go well. And then, because that was the second child, and the first one was born. You knew the drill. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, yes, yeah. So anyway, um, and uh, I today have uh, two, you know, healthy grown-up children, and uh, you know, they are they're great. So you're so it's just dedication to the purest level in the commercial kitchen as well. You're so dedicated to work. You are like this is it. No, for me. Um, Interestingly, uh, because previously I traveled and backpacked around the world, and at that time I met so many people who were in very difficult situation. You know, they didn't have any security, they didn't have so much food, and they were sleeping on the floor, but they still invited me to eat with them. And, and you know, they were like smiling, still smiling, uh, you know, they were still generous even though what they had was so limited. And thinking of it, like whenever I had my own challenges and difficulty, um, even though sometimes like I get stuck in that kind of feeling of fear or something like that, then I remind myself that actually I'm still okay. You know, I still have a lot. And if we, we are healthy and we still have um, good relationships, then we could overcome anything compared to a lot of people who had greater challenges. So, um, yeah, so that definitely helps to be able to kind of be like grateful for whatever little we have at any time, then usually the problems are not that super challenging. So, and that's so challenging, we still find a way to overcome. No, it's so nicely put, Masami, because my, uh, just to share a story from my mum and her friends who have done a pilgrimage um, um, in India around the river, and you're not allowed to take money with you. And you have to uh, buy food. Not you can't buy food. You just eat food you're given by the people. And she, the, one of the experience she said was uh, there was a time uh, there, and the people who live around the river, they're very very poor, and so but they share. And she was saying there was one evening they came to a house, and you could see they barely had anything for themselves. But they shared the onion and the roti, which is the bread, with my mum and her friend as well. And she was like, that is the most humbling experience to have, where they're still open and welcoming, as you said, and loving to give it to you. And, and sometimes it feels like we have so much and we still, are we doing the right thing? Are we giving enough kind of thing? So, but yeah, thank you so much for sharing your experiences, Masami. And on that note, I'd like to say, I am all in on B1G1. Actually, Paul Paul Dunn, who is the co-founder, mentioned uh, something which was nice to have an account for the little children as well, because they can they can see what they can have an impact on as well. So that's the next thing for us to have one for our little boy, which will be quite an interesting journey. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, yeah, this will be the best Friday for me. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, thank you, everybody, um, for listening to this episode as well. <laughs> Sami, thank you so much for joining us today. It was an absolute pleasure, as usual. And uh, yeah, what an episode. I'm sure the listeners are going to listen and take in every single word of what you have said today. Um, I mean, 
going traveling when you could barely understand uh, a language um, and then communicating through food, starting a business in food and then relating it back to something which is about giving, which you learn from your journeys. Um, just incredible and just shows us how what we do in whatever stage in our life can bring us back to our purpose and nothing nothing is lost in that journey um, and so never in no point in our life we should feel oh is this relevant does this matter it's just beautiful thank you so much for sharing your journey uh, your impact with B1G1 and, and cannot wait to be associated with the purpose of B1G1 myself personally as well thank you again and to our listeners Please like, share and subscribe. It means a lot to us. And thank you for listening and tuning in.